Amen. Uh, the title of, so the way this month is working, I have a, it's like a two-week mini-series, and then I have a friend of mine coming to preach the third week, Will Caesar. Really excited, really, really excited to have him. And then at the end of the month, we're going to have Love and the Outcome here. And they're, yeah, for those who know, Love and the Outcome, like, they're a big deal. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so they're going to be here, and they're going to worship, lead a worship service. And then they're going to, and if you're interested, around 1 o'clock, they're going to talk to any musicians here in here or anyone who's interested in being the music business, anything like that. They're going to talk to students and people alike and just say, hey, here's what it's like. Um, and just kind of share their heart and where they've been and what God has brought them through. So if you're available for that time, that'd be great. But the name of this series uh, is called, you know, it sounds like a drink. It was in James Bond. Um, if you guys have ever been to a bar, it's called Shaken but stirred. Amen? That should stir you up. It's called shaken, but stirred. No? Shaken, but stirred. There we go. Okay, we got a little bit. All right, all right. So what that means is like, you're like, well, why would you name a sermon so close to being a drink type, you know? It's because in life, Bible says that in life, as Christians, we will suffer. That's what it says. If you're a Christian, if you claim Christ, if you walk with Christ, it says in this life, you will suffer. Because Christ suffered, we will also go through suffering. If you've been through, anyone here been through hurts and pains and letdowns and mishaps and all this stuff, and you're like, oh my gosh, like why is this happening to me? Why, God, have you allowed this to happen? Why, I feel like my world's being shaken. You know, my, my son or my daughter is going through this. Uh, for Genesis, like she was saying, my car broke down. Uh, you know, for me, I'm going through, like, not me. It's like, here are all these health issues. Or you're going, I'm going through all these things, God, and all these things are shaking my world. Anyone ever had a shaken world before? Yeah? Anyone been through a week where it's been shaken and you're like, my whole world is being shaken and I don't feel like I could find any footing. Anything that I find security in, all the things that I found security in are now shaken. Like I just lost my job, so the paycheck that I thought I was getting, shaken. Like I just thought like I was in good health, but the doctor said something different. That is now shaken. I thought I was going to be in this great relationship, but it didn't work out. And that is now shaken. And I thought I was going to, you know, have this promotion but someone else got promoted and I'm doing their job already and that is now shaken. All of these lives, all these points in my life are shaken. But I want to let you know that just because things are shaking doesn't mean you're going to fall or you're going to fold because that, in that shaking, God is trying to stir your faith up. So you will be shaken, but God is like, I've called you to be stirred up. Let your faith be stirred up. And you have to understand that in every moment, in all these different moments in life, and all these different things in life, that we will be shaken, but we will not crumble because God is like, my hand is protecting you. And I want to stir up your faith because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That should stir you up a little bit. That should stir you up. So I'm here as a pastor to stir up your faith today. I want to stir you up. And there are people in the Bible who are also shaken, but you have to understand that shakingness, that, that, that moving, that, that moving back and forth shouldn't bring you to a place of defeat. It should bring you to a place of power. 
Just because things are moving all around, just because things aren't the way you're used to, just because it's not with the norm, doesn't mean that God is going, isn't going to use that for his glory. So I'm shaken, but I'm stirred. I find my footing in Christ. Yes, I know things may not be working out. I'm shaken, but I'm so stirred up. And so I want to call you right now that you may be going through something right now. You may be going through what looks like a defeat right now. But just know that when your, first, when your, when your faith is stirred up, your defeat can change into a victory. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a defeat. It doesn't have to stay a defeat. It can be a victory. Thank you, God. And you have, like, I'm, we got to stir up our faith. We have to stir up and encourage one, each, and encourage one another. So we don't share these stories of going through hurts and pains because it's like, well, I just want to like unload on you and let you know how depressed I am. You got to share from a place of being stirred up. Like, listen, brother, I went through this. Genesis, I'm going to talk to you. You know this. Tasha knows this. Listen, when I got to Memphis, I had a hoopty. Like, my car was literally driving on prayers. Any hill, I was like, God, remove that hill from my car's life because it will not, because I had to, you know, I, we had to gale rig it because you had to cut out the catalytic converters because they were clogged and I was broke, broke. And it was like, we could throw pipes under there, throw pipes under there, you know. My car, my whole real car sounded like a Mario Kart. And so listen to me when I tell you that God is going to work it out. You may be sitting in your car in a prayer, but God is going to move that car and move it in prayer. So you have to understand that just because it costs $1,800 doesn't mean God may give you $1,800. He may work on someone that they're like, you know what, it costs $1,800, but we'll bring it down to something that you can't afford. We'll bring it down to like $500 because that's the kind of God we serve. Just because something's expensive and out of our reach doesn't mean it has to stay expensive and out of our reach, that he can bring the price down to where we can afford it. Because that's in the nature of Christ. Someone high up in the heavenlies would leave all of glory and come down to us and be our Savior. Y'all, I'm stirred up right now. I'm so stirred up. If you're not stirred, sit in the back. But if you're stirred up, <laughs> sit in the front. Sit in the, come, come sit up here. Feeling it now. Like, all right, good. We're going to turn to Mark 9, 14. Because I want to show you what being stirred up looks like in Scripture. And you might not see it in the beginning, but God will show you what being stirred up means. If you're with me, say amen. amen. If you're with your neighbor, turn to your neighbor and say, you stirred up? Good. Yeah, that sounded like some of y'all stirred up. And if your other neighbor wasn't listening, be like, I hope you're stirred up. In Mark 9, 14, we meet... It says, what we do is like in Mark 9, 14, sorry, excuse me, it says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So we see the teachers of the law arguing with disciples, arguing with them. And it says, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Oh my gosh, that's so beautiful. It says that as Jesus approached, that they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to meet him. Y'all, what would the church body look like if we looked more like Christ? That people would be overwhelmed with wonder when they saw us moving in the community. Ooh, man, that changes lives. It's just like, oh yeah, that church, they're coming to serve, they're coming to help out. Oh my gosh, did you see Ash this week? She was serving. But people, get not, they're not overwhelmed with wonder about you. 
So don't sit there and be like, mm-hmm, I'm great. No, they weren't overwhelmed with wonder about you. They were overwhelmed with wonder about Jesus. And so when people see you, and when the closer you get to Christ, the more you look like Christ. To the point when people see you walk in the room, when you're at work, when you're with your friends, as you're studying for a class, when you're in college, that when you walk into a room, they're overwhelmed with wonder. And they're like, man, there's just a different spirit about you, man. I don't know what it is. I don't know what, like, did you go to church this week or something? Like, what is different? You could be like, I've been, I've been with the Lord. I've been spending time with Jesus. You know, and I realized in my own life that the closer I get to Christ, the more people want to be around you. People don't want to be around you if, you're not, if, if you say you're a Christian, but you ain't exemplifying Christi- Christian lifestyle. Like, people don't want to be around you because people in this world need hope. I don't know if you've, anyone has turned open Facebook or watched the news. We need hope. There are literally mass shootings happening within 24 hours of each other. Within 24 hours of each other, people are dying left and right because someone made a decision that their life and what they're doing is more important than that other life. And so people need hope. People need Jesus to show up on situations more often. People need that. Imagine if someone was like Christ and showed up in that shooter's life and was like, hey, brother, I don't know what you're going through. I love you, though. Let's hang out. Overwhelm them with the wonder of Christ. The wonder of Christ changes things. His Spirit changes things. The Holy Spirit changes things. And what I love is that, and that they ran to greet him. And in verse 16, he goes, what are you arguing with them about? Isn't that a great question? Like, what y'all arguing about? Like, Jesus is asking this question. As if he doesn't know. What are you arguing about? How many times for those who are married or in a relationship, does the Holy Spirit ever get you and be like, what are you even arguing about? If she asks you to make the bed, just make me a side of the bed. If she asks to wash those four dishes, but in your mind it's like 40, you know? Because, you know, everything sometimes dramatized when you're married. You asked me to wash all these dishes. It's like, dude, it's like three dishes. Come on, kid. Like, what are you arguing about? Anyone ever get in an argument with their wives or with a friend or whatever, and you're hot in the argument because you're so set on your point, and then you walk away, and you're like, I forgot my entire point. <laughs> like, what was that? What? Like, what was that? Oh, 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 this is what I was arguing about. This is like, by the time, like, ain't nobody want to hear you. Or when you walk away from the argument, you think of better things you should have said. That's how you know the argument's not that serious. Surprise, newsflash, like, that's how you know you lost. Because I realize whenever, especially like we're sharing the gospel with someone and they want to get worked up in an argument, the more you get in that argumentative defensive state, the less you're losing them. You're losing them. I know when someone gets worked up and they're getting huffing them, yo, you can't. She's like, brother, I love you. Imagine if that was our mindset for every argument that we were about to get in. Because sometimes the truth is, and all of us, those who are married, and if you have a family member or if you are in a relationship, sometimes the people we argue with and treat the worst are those who are closest to us. Because we know that they're not going to go anywhere, we think. We know that we have that relationship with them. And so before we get into arguments, I think we should just look at that question that Jesus asked us. It's like, what are we arguing about? And you're like, what? Even today. What are we arguing about? 
Like, if you look at people who are arguing in their political parties, it's just like, some of the stuff, you don't even know what you're arguing about. Like, you don't. Well, he, he, he doesn't agree with me, so that's something to argue about? Because when Jesus comes back, none of that stuff matters. Jesus is not coming back to argue with any of y'all, okay? He's like, I'm coming back to take over, so it's either like my word or no words. This is the word that gives life. This is the word that's going to matter. If I live my life according to this scripture, if I govern my life my, and I shape my thoughts around this word, this is what he's going to ask me about. Because it says that the last day when we stand before Jesus, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. There's no question as to be like, are you a Republican or a Democrat? Or did you believe in this or that? He's not asking questions. He's going to make a statement. And then he'll ask the question. Did you know my son? Well, you, did, you, did you know my son? And that's a yes or no. There's no beating around the bush. There's no, but, 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 did you know my son? And that's what I believe. I believe when we get to heaven, for those Christians who you've walked faithfully, listen, ain't no one going to be running across the finish line, right? No one's going to be walking into heaven like, hey, all of us are going to be limping and dragging ourselves into heaven like, like a zombie apocalypse, like, Lord, thank you. I didn't think I was going to make it. And God might be like, I didn't think you was going to make it either, but you're here. You know what I mean? <laughs> you made it. And so you got to understand, none of us ain't running across this finish line. We're all going to get before God and just crawling and just saying, God, I didn't think I was going to make it, but I just held on for as long as I could. And for those, he'll look down and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And for those who walk upright into heaven and be like, I'm a shoe in he's going to say, did you know my son? Oh, well, I talked about your son. Yeah, I know your words were close, but your heart was far from me. Did you know my son? It's different. It's different. That's why I, like, when God put that on my heart, he asked me that question, like, what are, what are you arguing with them about? It says, a man in the crowd answered, verse 17, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus says, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So as you can see, we see a father coming out of the crowd, right, feeling shaky. He's shaking at that moment because if you have kids, you're like, I know what that's like. I have two kids to have my daughter who had seizures a couple weeks ago. I know what that's like. Not saying she's possessed by a demon, but she's had seizures, right? And so as a father, I know that, that he ran and he pushed through the crowd and he was shaking. He's like, God, he needs to be healing because he's been dealing with this for so long. And some of you guys in this room, you don't have kids. And so I want to let you see in that situation, it's not about having kids. See, the enemy wants to attack what's coming out of you though see the enemy wants to attack the future he wants to attack the next generation and so understand just because you don't have children doesn't mean you're not under attack as a christian as a christian whatever god's put in you and you now begin to produce that's what the enemy is going to attack for him it was his son because the enemy didn't touch him and so he touched something very close to him 
You may be sitting in this room and you got to understand that the, 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 the biggest attack against all the gates of hell is you walking in your purpose and what you're going to leave for future generations. And so the enemy will attack that. But I don't know why my car is not working. I don't know why I lost my job. I don't know why I'm not in this relationship. I don't know why they don't want to be friends with me. I don't know. I don't know. And guess what? You may never, ever know. But you know this, that the enemy has all of hell against you when you walk upright in Christ. But you are not defeated. You will not be overcome. It says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. And so in those moments where you feel like, I don't know what's going on, I feel like this is seizing up in my life, this is shaking up in my life, you can stand and say, God, great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Some of y'all don't know that hymn. Like, look it up, because... That hymn has brought me through tough times, you know, where I was laying in my bed, just like tears just running down my face because I felt so broken, and the Holy Spirit would just be like, sing it. And you're like, why do I have to sing it? Because when you declare it out in the physical, it does something in the spiritual, okay? You're telling, you're not only telling yourself that God is faithful, you're telling God in the spiritual, you are faithful, and I trust you. Even when my mind doesn't trust you, even when my physical, what my eyes see can't trust you, I'm going to trust you. So great is your faithfulness. And I know you're going to come through. Even when I'm broken, I know you're going to come through. And so this man, this father who is shaken, and he's saying, hey, he goes into this state. He comes into this state where he's gnashing his teeth and he's broken. And like, God, I'm shaking right now. I don't know what to do. Can you please, if you, if you can, if you, if you can heal it, you know, God, if you can heal the situation, if you can heal my marriage, if you can heal this relationship, if you could heal my income, Heal it. Like, this has been going on for so long. And with his child, see, it wasn't just a moment. He was saying this has been happening his entire life. He's been dealing with this his entire life. And I, when I read it, like, you automatically think, like, dang, Jesus, that was a harsh response. You unbelieving generation. I would have been like, oh, you know? But he goes, if you just knew who was amongst you, because, listen, you don't have to raise your hand. Like, everyone struggles with depression in a different way. I don't need anyone. I, I've been there. I've been there. My wife knows. I've been there. And I feel like those are the times where it's just like, Jesus, like, if you would just believe. And I understand, guys. I understand with depression, sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a, your hormones in your brain just can't see the light. And those are times in me where I couldn't see the light, and God was just like, Listen, trust me, but God, my brain is telling me, like, I know, I know what your brain is telling you, but what is your heart saying? What is the Holy Spirit saying? But God, I just don't, I don't even feel like I can get out of bed today. Just put your foot on the ground. Trust me, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. God knows it's hard. He's been where you've been. He's not a God that can't sympathize with your weaknesses. That's why he left heaven. 
He left all of heaven. He left all of glory so that he can come and walk amongst us and sympathize with our agonies and our pain. He's not a God who's a stranger to pain. He's a God that knows pain. So when we walk through these deserts of life, when we walk through these broken moments, he goes, I know where you are and I've never left you and I've never forsaken you. I will never forsake you. And in those times where you think you're by yourself, you're not alone because I'm carrying you. I'm carrying you. And so he looks, he's talking to this dad, he says, you unbelieving generation, how long should I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, he immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this from childhood? In that moment, you got to understand when darkness is confronted with light and begins to act up. Right? When darkness is confronted by light, it begins to act out. And you're saying, Pastor, how does this apply to my life? I'm not possessed by demons, so what are you talking about? When Jesus confronts the sin in your life that you've been trying to hide, you begin to act out. But I only, I only do this because of this. I only look at this because of this. I only act that way because of... And we begin to put up all these fronts, right, and get real defensive. Anyone have really good friends in their life that will confront them and say, hey, man, when you do this, like... It just turns people off. Like, you just get in this way. Like, if, you know, for me, for a while ago, it would be like my eating. It's just like, bro, you eating a lot. You know? I used to be 325, family. 325. I was a big boy. My joints were like screaming. Like, please, no more. And so when family members would be like, hey, man, like, you got to change your lifestyle, your diet. Man, what do you mean? Like, this is all I could do. And, when darkness is confronted by light, it's just something that acts up. Anyone ever feel like when they get confronted, and, but uh, they get confronted, we get so defensive. That's a natural human response. Like when someone confronts us, we get very defensive about it because we don't want to expose what they see already. It's like we're scared for them to see it anymore. It's like, no, like me trying to hide this, like, no, 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 don't, don't look, don't look, no, 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 don't, don't, don't see it, you know, but it's already bigger than us. That sin that we've been hiding, because sin matures and grows in darkness, and we don't notice that it's bigger than us. It's like, no, I've got control over this, and that's why it always boggles my mind when people who smoke cigarettes, when I was growing up in New York, they're always like, hey, man, don't smoke. Okay, you know, because it became an addiction. It became bigger than them. Sure, they can say it with their mouth, but they couldn't follow through with their actions. That's why Jesus says, how long has it been? How, how long has the child been like this? And in our lives, I think we need to reflect and ask ourselves the same question. When someone confronts us, it's like, man, how long have I been like that? Because some of us don't notice that certain events will trigger us to change a behavior, change a characteristic, change an action. We've, been, we've gone through hurts and pains, and so now we react from this place of defensiveness instead of love and openness. 
because we've been hurt in one way so many times. And so like when, when, whenever someone confronts us, we can say, well, how long have I been like that? And it's like, well, remember that situation? Remember that? Like whenever you went through these things, like it kind of changed you, like it kind of jaded you. And that's when we need to reflect and be like, oh God, help me and heal me from this broken part. Like, I never knew I can turn out like this. I never knew that I was like this. Yes, I'm not saying you guys, I'm not saying you guys are demon possessed or anyone listening on the podcast in the future, I'm not saying you're demon possessed, but sometimes behaviors and traits creep in because of hurts and because of life and we don't see where the change happens. And so it's us to get before Jesus because Jesus said, bring the boy to me and say, God, I've noticed that like someone showed me that this is part of who I am and I don't want this there anymore. I don't want these behaviors or this attitude to seize up my relationships. It says, verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this from childhood? He answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or the, or the, or the water to kill him. Isn't that crazy? Like he would seize up and that seizure would throw him into fire and into water. Have you noticed that it's like sometimes your own sin throws you into situations that you had no place in being because sin is desiring to kill you, right? The Bible says that the enemy comes to uh, steal. And so sin can take you to situations and put you in fires and put you in waters that you're not even supposed to be in. That boy wasn't supposed to be in those situations. But this demon came and possessed him and it threw him into these situations. That's why you, gotta, you guys got to notice that situations that you go through, things that you go through, is, is when you start living a life of prayer, you're like, God, I don't know if I brought myself here or you brought me here, but Lord, I need out. Or if you're trying to show me something in this fire, or if you're trying to show me something in this water, show me. But if I brought myself here, forgive me and restore me. Right? Because... A lot of, anyone got those friends that always got drama every week? And you're like, what's it this week? And this is like, they tell you, and you just want to be like, but that's your fault, right? <laughs> no, it was the devil. The devil ain't do nothing. That's all you. Sometimes we blame the devil for things. The devil's like, I wasn't even working on you this week. I was just letting you destroy yourself, okay? Devil's on working on someone else. He's like, that was the devil. No, it's, sometimes it's bad behaviors and bad attitudes, bad decisions. And so what I love right here, it says, the father says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He's talking to the creator of the world. If you can do anything, take pity on us. And what does Jesus say? If you can if I can. And some, like, I heard, like, someone say, like, oh, Jesus was being arrogant. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't you go there. I almost slapped him in the mouth. I'm like, first of all, if he can, he's the one who formed the earth and the stars and the galaxies and formed every neuron in your brain and formed everything in your body. What, do you, what he was asking, if I can, do you know who you're talking to? Because some of us pray like that sometimes. Hey, God, if you can, like, could you help me out? And I feel like God just sits with me. He's like, if I can, 
I formed you when you were in your mother's womb. I knew your name before your parents even spoke it into the earth. I knew how many hairs were on your head before you even showed up at the hospital. If I can. God, if you can heal me of this, if I can. What do you mean, if I can? I can't. What if our prayers begin to change? Not if you can, because the, the whole sentence of if you can is contingent. There's a contingency. Oh, God, if you got time, if you're not doing anything else. No, 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 no. What if our prayers change to God, I know you can. I know you can, God. I know you can heal me. I know you can restore me. I know you can set, me, set my feet on solid ground. Not if you can. I know. If, see, it creates this space of letdown, right? That's why there's a lot of bitter Christians, because they pray these if prayers. If you can. So it creates a space where if he doesn't do it, it's just like, well, it's almost like I knew you weren't going to do it. You know, you're too busy holding the world on its axis, you know. And so if creates a space of things. But when we hop into this place of God, I know you can. Now it's a spirit of expectation. God, I know you can. You may not do it tomorrow. You may not do it in the next three months. But I know you can, and you will deliver me. And how, it's like, Pastor, how can you stand up? You can clap for that girl. Go ahead, clap. You know, like, I know he can. Because it's just like, it's like, Pastor, how can you speak like that? Because in his word, he made that promise. I will deliver you. I will restore you. If you humble yourself and turn from your wickedness, I will heal your land. I can. And what does he call himself? He's the I am. God, I know you can. Our prayers need to change. Our prayers need to change, not if he can. You serve a God who created the earth in seven days. You serve a God who miraculously formed you in your mother's womb. You serve a God when, when, they thought, when your parents thought they were barren, you came out of nowhere. You serve a God who grows limbs back. You serve a God who turned, took blind people who couldn't see anything and gave them sight. That's the God that you serve. You need to know the God that you serve. You need to know the God that you serve. It needs to change your prayer life. Our prayer lives need to change. It's no longer, God, if you, know, if you can, if you got time, like, you know, if, if you could pencil me in for your five o'clock. No. It's like, God, I know you can. I know you can. Even when my eyes, my physical eyes say, like, it's not possible, I know you can. But, you know, you're already divorced and... God, I know you can restore my marriage. God, I know you can restore my children. I know they're walking from you, but I know you can. Whatever situation is going on in your life today, you need to change it from an if you can to I know you can. And that's not an easy place to get to, right? I'm not saying, listen, I know it's easy to preach. I know it's easy to say because when you're in the middle of that season, it's so hard to say. But I want to, re- I, I pray to God that the Holy Spirit etches this moment in your brain for the rest of your life to whenever you're hit with storms and seasons and things start shaking, that you're like, God, I know you can. My life is a mess, but I know you can turn my mess into a message. And I know you can because you did it for Paul. You did it for my mom. You did it for my brothers, my sisters. I know you changed your life around. I know you can. I know you can change your situation around. And so Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. 
but pastor, theologically, what he no, he said everything is possible for those who believe. And now, I'm not talking all this name it and claim it garbage, right? I'm not talking about like, oh, pastor, I was believing for a Bentley last week. No, don't be silly. It's according to his will. If God wants to bless you with a Bentley, he's not blessing you with a Bentley because he wants you to stunt on the block. That's not what he's blessing you. But God is blessing you with a Bentley because he's like, I'm going to use this for my ministry. So <laughs> you're going to go into all the places who don't have rides to church and you're going to pick them up. But God, it's a lot of gas. You pray for it. You said it's mine. See, it changes. He gives, he gives us everything according to his will. And, and, and at the right time, he gives us exactly what we need exactly what we need. He says everything is possible for the one who believes. If you have a wayward child who hasn't been following Christ, keep on believing. That's what he's saying in this statement. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Are you, belie like, are you in school right now trying to get that degree, but you're like, God, my grades look rough. Keep on believing. Keep on studying. Keep on working. But, but God, they, the doctor said I was diagnosed with this incurable thing. Everything is possible for those who believe. But God, they said my family would never come back together. Everything is possible for those who believe. But God, I can't even qualify for a loan. Everything is possible for the God who owns everything. Everything is possible. It's possible. God, I know you can. God, I know you can. God, I know my credit may be jacked up, and that's my fault, but I know you can fix it. Am I speaking to someone today? Are we talking today? It says... Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and this is so, this is us, this is us. And like, I, I, I love this statement because I see myself in this statement, and sometimes you may see yourself. Immediately, it says, so Jesus says, everything is possible for the one who believes, and it says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. How many of us have been there? God, I believe you. I've read this word. I've prayed these prayers. But sometimes this unbelief in my heart is keeping me. So God, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And it says, you see, the key isn't the depth of our faith, but it's the direction of our faith. That's the key. It's not the depth of our faith, but it's our direction. It's never about how deep our faith is, but it's the direction on who we give our faith. See, it's not the potency of your faith, because a lot of churches want to have this potency of faith. Like, oh, yeah, name it and claim it. It's not the potency of the faith, but the person the faith is in. It's the person that it's in. It's never this, this show. It's, it's the person of Christ and the person of who he is. He's God's, and what I love is that the Father, God, the Father goes, and he goes, God, help me in spite of me. How many of us, who's, who's that sometimes, right? God, help me in spite of me. In spite of my shortcomings, in spite of my unbelief, in spite of my doubt, because guess what? You will doubt in, in spite of my fears, God. Help me. That's why when you sing, I surrender all, there's a part of you that's like, I don't want to surrender, but help me in spite of me, because I need you. Lord, help, help my unbelief, because sometimes it's hard for me. It's very hard for me. Genesis, if you don't mind coming up playing. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. He said, you deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, 
come out of him and never enter him again. I command you. I want to let you guys know that this might have happened 2,000 years ago, right? That Jesus would command a spirit and rebuke him. He says, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And some people believe like those miracles were for that day, but that's not the God I serve, okay? In the same power that Jesus commanded that demon and rebuked him and said, never come back, is the same way you can rebuke demons or things in your life and say, never come back. You are not welcomed in my household. You're not welcomed through my TV. You're not welcomed through my phone. Satan, you could take all of your schemes and you could put them somewhere. You are not welcomed back here. I am, listen, if, if you're addicted to alcohol, get rid of all the alcohol in your house. If that was your weakness, get rid of all of it because you say you are never welcomed back here. You tried to break my dad, but you ain't gonna break me. If it's an addiction to things online and you guys know what I'm talking about and say, God, you know what? I'm gonna put up all kinds of blocks and all kinds of filters because I wanna be accountable. You are not welcomed here anymore. If it's, if it's greed, guess what? Money, you are not my captain. You, you don't own me. So I guess what? I'm going to give. I'm going to give it because God owns it anyway. So I'm going to give it. You don't, you don't own me. You're not welcomed here. Some of y'all are letting too many things into your house all willy nilly and it wants to stay there, but it's not paying rent and it's not part of God's will. So it's got to go. It's got to go. See, when the shaking happens, you have to understand that God allows a shaking to happen because he wants to shake some things loose. And when you see those things break free, when you get shaken loose, that should stir you up in Christ. That should stir up your faith because you're like, God, I couldn't get rid of this on my own. But thank you for shaking it because you got rid of it. Thank you, Lord God, that it's not permanent, but life is like an etch-a-sketch that God just shakes it sometimes. It wipes away the old picture and he's like, I want to start a new in you. To shake it. Allow the shaking to happen. Don't fight the shaking. Don't fight it. And when God's trying to shake stuff off, don't fight it. Allow it to stir your faith. It said the spirit shrieked, convulsed in him violently, and it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. It says, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. He stood up. Now, it's a whole other sermon, and it's just like when the disciples like, well, how come we couldn't get it out? And he's like, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But I want to I highlight this before we leave. It says that the spirit shook him and left him, and it left him laying there like he died. Like people are like, all right, the spirit came out, but that boy looked dead, like dead, dead. It shook him. It shook him. He convulsed, and he fell to the ground. You have to understand that if God is going to make any changes in your life, he will have to shake it out of you so that what does the Bible say? I must die so that he can live. So God will allow it to shake it out of you. He'll allow it to convulse and shake until it gets out of you. But what does it say? It says that Jesus took him by the hand and brought him back to life. 
What does that mean for us believers? It means that just because life is shaking you and God is allowing a shaking to happen, that things are leaving in your life and when you're laying on the floor and you feel dead and you feel that you're at the end of yourself and you feel like you're at the end of your rope, Jesus is standing right there. He's ready to pull you up back to life. What a good God. What a good God. What a faithful God. What a faithful God that when everyone saw that boy, everyone saw that boy and they said, he looks dead. Because people in your circles, people in your world will see the shaking happening and they, say, they will think that you are defeated, they will think you're down and out, and at the end of that, Jesus is standing there at his high, and he will bring you and restore you back to life to the point where people will begin to wonder and awe. Not because of what you did, but because Christ brought his hand down and brought us back to life. Everyone receive that today? Yes.